Welcome to part 2 of my episode with eminent travel blogger and writer Lakshmi Sharat. Please do check out part 1 of this episode before part 2. In this part, Lakshmi and I talk about her love for Japan as a country and a culture, her experiences in the city of Kyoto and her little fangirl moment when she met Roger Federer in Switzerland. Let's get into it. How did you get started? uh to to be interested in japan um, was it through culture was it through mainstream media anime so the thing is it was a very funny story i when i was studying in uh, uh in college uh this was like i said even before my ma- media days before my even my mass comm days and uh, i think this was around the same time that i had just come back from uh, uh my first trip to australia and new zealand or even earlier i'm not sure but around that same time uh i was very uh, you know i was very over enthusiastic i wanted to do something different you know and i used to do a lot of writing at that time for a lot of publications and little little publications of course they were but still doing a lot of writing and working for neighborhood newspaper so somebody said why don't you learn a language why don't you learn french why don't you learn german and why don't you learn spanish or something different and i said different so i said why don't i learn japanese i had no clue why okay and then You're always got, for left field choices in life <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i'm that i belong to that robert frost road not taken kind of a philosophy i took the one less traveled path precisely yeah <laughs> that's made all the difference so i call it the motto of my life but i don't know i just, I just was I, i don't know i was just fascinated by Jap- japanese and uh, and japan was a thing at that time you know a lot of people were saying you know people were learn having a lot of japanese schools were coming and a lot of people were slowly starting to travel to japan and they wanted you know there were a lot of spoken courses but you know what to be honest i should have stuck to spanish or german or french because japanese was so difficult it's not easy but it was great fun it was really great fun and uh, and i would come home and i would practice all my japanese lines on all my you know family and we would have a riot and all of that and uh, we would have like you know there used to be these kikitori which is like your listening classes they'd give you a cassette and you had to hear it and you had to answer questions and then you would have to learn how to write kanjis and for me kanjis were something so i'm a storyteller right so i i got fascinated by kanjis one because they were obviously pictorial but two every kanji's picture had a significance had a cultural significance so and 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 two images would mean something else but two images with something else would have a different connotation and each of these kanjis had a story behind it each of these kanjis were like a totem or a symbol they were not just about a representation or just another image so it was it was really fascinating trying to get into it and i think that's where the fascination began because you know i would start learning about the language the language became like a little uh, window to the culture of of the of the place the kind of uh, uh, because even the way they would speak even the way they would you know bow the way you a sentence construction used to be the way the, um, the kanjis were put together each of them had a story behind it and there have there was a culture behind it so uh, um, so that i think got me very uh, fascinated about Jap- japan as a country and then we had to pass of course these exams and those days exams were held only in delhi in jnu so when i was uh, i think we we took a train i think from chennai to delhi like you know those two nights three days long trains and uh, grand trunk express <laughs> yeah 
bunch of us went to write the exam and I was staying at a friend's house um, in uh, Meroli. Okay. And there's a reason why Meroli I'm saying. I We went to JNU, we wrote the exam and we're coming back uh, by bus uh, towards Meroli when suddenly this we are told we are told that you know in the in the bus only that uh, everything is shutting down fast and we have to get back and we were actually supposed to take the next day's train and come back to Chennai. I guess for me my Japanese story got interrupted at that point of time. My experience with Japan, of course, it got into you know other age after that with Babri Masjid and I came back to Madras after fifteen days that I went to Andamans. I I first time I went in a ship to Port Blair in the nineteen nineties. And we got stranded there also. So it was like a back-to-back, uh, you know, experiences of being stranded in uh, uh, there in the ship. In fact, that was a scary experience. But then, yeah. So net-net, um, I think that's where I think the Japan suddenly took a break. So uh, when I came, after many years, when I'm back, after I took my sabbatical from uh, uh, media. my media career, and, you know, I somehow felt like I wanted to get back to Japan. And I wanted know more about Japanese and uh, I also started reading a lot of Japanese books and I was also watching a few movies but more more than movies I think it was mostly the books and uh, and something about me felt like going and re- doing a refresher course again so I went and redid uh, the same level that I had passed and then I did another level as well uh, but and this was all then, for fun you know you would yeah, yeah, just not looking to get anything out of it okay no no not at all which is why I didn't even bother appearing for an exam or anything because I'm not looking for any certification. Anyway, I had one certificate, but I was not really keen on. I mean, for me, it was not about validating anything. It was just for fun. It was more more to know more about the the, the place itself. And and obviously, it it was on my mind to travel to Japan. I mean, that, that was something which I was really looking forward to. And uh, amongst all the countries, I've been to about 50 countries now, I think. Amongst all the countries I've been to, I think Japan is something very uh, sacred, you know, it's, it's, it's something very special and it's something very, uh, something which I feel very connected to, you know, it feels one of those places where you feel you belong, uh, besides, of course, being in India, I mean, India is some place I strong, like I could, I can travel anywhere in the world, but I need to come back to India, you know, that, that kind of a feeling, but, but I think after India, I think the only other place where I have, um, felt that very strong connection I would think is in Japan and that too in Kyoto. Of course, I've not traveled too much in Japan. I'm not some, you know, um, I'm not a Pico <laughs> You know, I've only been to Tokyo and Kyoto and a little bit in Osaka. Uh, but that little glimpse was enough to make me want to go back again. And uh, and Kyoto was something very special. Yeah, Japan is quite quite interesting in that way that it's so traditional yet so modern especially when it comes to technology right Um, a lot of the other countries are maybe like 300 400 years old uh, like Australia US Canada but Japan is this very interesting mix of traditional and um, and modern and and interesting that you bring up uh, Kyoto and I just realized that the word Kyo actually means capital uh, and Kyoto was was the old capital of uh, uh, of Japan, and and Tokyo was called the East Capital, and even Tokyo has that Kyo word in it, right? So, so can I, you, do you know that Kyoto and Tokyo are what, what is the word that they actually? There's a word in English, no, that they are uh, one Summer, of each other. Oh, the oh, sister yeah, cities. So you, no, no, no. 
like if, if there is the word to, Tokyo is Kyoto spelled backwards. Oh, anagram uh, or uh, anagram. Think, yeah, not anagram. Not anagram. Oh my god, uh, it's called a palindrome. Not palindrome. Yeah, something palindrome? like that. Okay, it's, yeah, something. Yeah, like that. I don't know whether it's a palindrome or an anagram, but uh, but but this it's like when you say the the word Tokyo has Kyoto in it and the word Kyoto has Tokyo in it. Oh, I. So, Oh, very good observation. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, but but Tokyo is more, I would say, funky. Like you said, it's it's the perfect mix of the uh, the old and the uh, the new. Like you would, you could go into a neighborhood and you will uh, see these uh, you know very quaint uh, uh, sh- shops, or you would find like these really old monuments and very old temples. Or you'd find like I like I remember we were, I did a walk in on a very old neighborhoods and they took us to these extremely rare uh, uh, you know shops you know some shops there's only one shop that makes a particular sweet with the seven lucky gods or uh, there's one shop which is only focuses on toothpicks and they have like some thousands of varieties of toothpicks and it's supposed to be some I don't know some hundred year old or fifty year old kind of a shop. I mean, you know, it's, it's, and what I'm trying to say is that Tokyo, they have these little oddities and these very curiosities and these little things there. And then you also have the anime there. Uh, you also have these uh, cat cafes and maid cafes and owl cafes and all those kind of things there. I mean, it's, it's such a mixed bag when it comes to Tokyo and you, and you see like, you know, you know, I think it's a Shinjuku, which has that crazy crowd. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and okay. Japan is so so big on railways. I was looking at uh, uh, in a different context. I was looking at the top hundred busiest stations in in the world, and ninety eight were in Japan. Yeah, you know, I I remember. So we were staying uh, very close to uh, Shinjuku uh, railway station in Airbnb, and normally I'm I'm not great with directions, but normally I I try to remember. Oh God, there could be some thousands of exits and entry points in Jinjuku station like you'll never each day I felt like I was getting out of the wrong stage exit and I was like it my my, pla- my place where I was staying was just like five ten minutes of by walk and maybe uh two stops away by a metro from there but to find my way to the metro station from the main Jinjuku station was such a it was like being in a, inside a labyrinth uh, like a like a little maze you know uh like a labyrinthine kind of a you you're like lost all the time. You're like you 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 feel like you're you're forever inside a puzzle book when it comes to uh, Japan. But that's that's the thing about Japan. No, that the whole thing, the whole experience about Japan is so um, it's it's so overwhelming. Like you said, there's so much of modernity. There's so much of culture. There's so much of tradition. There's so much of curiosity. That the whole like the whole the, the, everything for them is a ritual. Like. Like I remember when we went to one of the ra- railway station, uh, the guard would perform some kind of a ceremony, some with his hands and, you know, something just before a train went and just before a train came in. And it was very, I, I mean, everything there is a performance. It's a ritual. It's steeped in tradition. Everything has a meaning to it. Uh, nothing is random. Nothing is casual. Nothing is, uh, you know, just like that. Like I, I remember... We got lost uh, in uh, Kyoto once. Uh, we had to find a particular place, and um, and the map and the um, it, we were not able to find it on the you know the Google map. And uh, I I saw an old lady uh, walking on that road, and it was like a little you know like a little alley with a lot of these lanes, and each lane looked the same. 
So every time I'd go in circles and I'd keep realizing I'm coming back to the same lane. So I met this lady and I asked her, I said, can you help me point out which lane I should go in? You know, because I knew it was showing me that I was just half a kilometer away, but I could still not figure out which one. In Japanese? Did it, No, so I, I spoke to her in a mix of Japanese and a mix of English and I asked her, you know, how do I go here? So she pointed out, she drew the map again and she pointed out and she said, and with, you know, with the um, go here and, you know, this she gave me some signs. And uh, uh, then my husband and I were walking and then again after 10 minutes, I realized again, we had lost our way. We got we, with a different thing. So I, I was looking around to see if there was someone else we could ask. And this lady was right behind us. And uh, and I was surprised. So I first thought that maybe she was coming her way and maybe she, it, this place was on her way. And, you know, so I, I politely asked her again, saying that, you know, things. And then I learned that the Japanese, she was going in a different direction. But the Japanese, if you ask them away, they will drop what they do and they will come till you reach your destination and only then they will go back. And this happened to me in, in at the first, with, with, I, I didn't realize it when this lady did this because she just said, no, 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 because she, was, uh, she couldn't speak too much English. And I, I and my first I realized maybe she was, you know, maybe I thought this was her path. But I didn't know that she had actually veered away from her path just to ensure that we were safe. It's like she said later on, my guide told me that they will not go to sleep. They can't sleep till they know that you are safe. And this happened to another another time again uh, where we I happened to just walk into a shop and I asked somebody where, where to go to one particular place. And uh, the guy actually shut his shop and he came all the way with me to show and uh, and again this happened when i was in a metro station and i got like since you're talking about train station i got completely lost in one of the big stations and i wanted to go to a particular place and there was a bunch and and i and, and there was somebody i was supposed to me uh, go to one of those anime stores and then i was supposed to go to this so i i thought and the kids there were some four or five kids going into the metro station and i thought that they would and be the best people to tell me where this particular anime store was because i was supposed to meet someone there and uh, and so they just they only knew Japanese, but they were so full of fun and life. They stopped going to that thing. All four of them came with me till the doorstep of that anime store. And then we took, you know, and they were full of life. They were laughing. They were teasing each other. They were poking fun. They were like typical kids. And we took selfies with them and they were laughing. They were talking to me about anime and they were, it was great fun, you know, vibing with them. But again, like I said, whether it's an elderly lady or whether it's young kids, you know, it's something that I learned that they will not go till they know you're safe. And and little things like this, you know, these are what makes a destination special. It's not just about uh, a particular uh, destination or an experience that you have, which is just touristy, uh, where you just tick off a place. But you learn more about a place from the conversations you have with people, from the experiences you have with people. So for me, that is what is so sacred about Japan. Yeah, I feel like when you go visit a city, uh, it's so much better to take the public transport if you want to know the city and the people than probably renting a car and just doing your thing, right? Absolutely, or walking around. Walking you around, get yeah. lost. That's the best place to go. That's the best way to 
find a you know yourself out there and you know experience a place better yeah did you always wanted to visit kyoto or was it just by choice because no, no, kyoto was something which i always wanted to visit though, though i regret that i didn't spend more time in kyoto i spent more time i mean i, I spent this i spent almost the same number of uh, days in tokyo and kyoto but i really wished i had more time because kyoto i think is is such a treasure house you need more time you need more uh you know it they're about like i think it's a unesco heritage site and there's some thousands of temples there yeah, it's and... like 1600 temples and 17 unesco heritage sites it's yeah it's a it's lot mind-boggling and, and they have some really 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 quaint uh customs uh they have some very interesting folk stories uh the inari shrines are very interesting uh from the buddhist temples uh, the Inaris themselves, the the, the sorry, the 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 I'm talking about the Shinto shrines are very very different, and and the Fushimo Inari, which is you know those typical you've, you've seen those vermilion gates and those uh you know the for the image of the uh fox, which is the Inari, um and each there is a, there's a huge backstory around it, and uh you know the, the it's very similar to our way of old olden uh days of our, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether we call it religion or belief systems, where we would have like, you know, gods of nature. So uh, Japan also still has a lot of gods of nature. They're more like spirits, actually. And uh, they can be mischievous. They are shapeshifters. Uh, each each one has a story, story behind it. The Inari itself is known to be very, uh, you know, crafty, cunning. Obviously, it's a fox. So, but at the same time, it's also sometimes can be a very benevolent spirit sometimes may not be like that uh and and again these gods also change form so initially they became like gods of agriculture but then they become like you know gods or spirits of industry prosperity and but i love the way that everything is steeped in a very strong tradition and a, and a ritual and a storytelling i mean the roots are there no matter how you evolve, you go back to those, you know, deep-rooted system. Uh, even the Gion Gisha tour, for instance, uh, you know, where you, you all, Gishas and the Maikos, the apprentice, you know, when you go into those old architectures, when you go in uh, of those houses, when you go into those lanes, uh, when you listen to some of these stories there, uh, when you go to some of these old temples of uh, that are in the neighborhood, every, every place has its own a story and a significance uh, so so these are little experiences that you get only when you walk and you you know you 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 can't see a meet a geisha unless you are actually going to pay uh, in i don't pay phenomenally expensive for a show but you could see a micro but it's not so much about just glimpsing them it's mostly about that whole experience of going walking into those lanes and listening to those stories and seeing the traditional architecture and how this whole system, how the whole concept and the culture of the Gishas evolved. All these are so enriching. Yeah, it's it, it's actually so nice how fondly you remember Kyoto. Um, uh, apparently, Kyoto was uh, in the list for the atom bomb. Uh, and uh, the story goes that uh, the, the Secretary of War, uh, I can't recollect his name, uh, some Stinson, um, want uh, was vehemently 
opposing that uh, U.S. not bomb Kyoto because he had spent his honeymoon in Kyoto, and he he I also. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched the movie. Uh, this is something that. Yeah, there uh, is a reference to it. There. Oh, did did it? Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and then they replaced it with Nagasaki. Yeah, but that's sad. Yeah, but anyway, I don't want to go there. But I think Kyoto, like I said, is 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 like um uh. It's it, the moment you walk into Kyoto, you realize you're on hallowed ground, you know. But it's not just about temples. Like if you go to the uh, uh, the bamboo grove, it's it's so mystical, you know. That's the word for it. I wouldn't call it religion or it's that whole mysticism. Beautiful Zen gardens there. Like you almost feel a sense of timelessness the moment you step into that uh, uh, place, and you know it. Even the market, the market of Kyoto is bustling, it's colorful, it's vibrant, it's like a an assault literally on your senses. But uh, but the vibe is amazing. And uh, like I said, the Pushminari shrine, which you go right on top, uh, and uh, it's you can go anytime, uh, you know. And uh, and as you climb up and you you go by train and then you keep climbing up, uh, you, the whole the, the Tory gates there that you see the orange Tory gates and you see the shrines and you you read uh, listen to more um, stories about the Inari and you 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 feel you know it's you're in a different world altogether it kind of similarly with the bamboo grove there there's a very very famous uh, bamboo grove there which is like a magical land you every time you look at it and when the sun falls through those bamboo groves you it's it's very mesmerizing you you feel like it's there's some kind of a magical light or some kind of a uh, enchantment in that entire area and of course there are villas and temples and there are a lot of these on the slightly on the outskirts of kyoto i uh, can't recollect the name of the bamboo grove but uh, uh, but it's 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 it was really stunning uh, and i've heard that kyoto also has some really eclectic quirky traditions uh, especially when it comes to shrines Any, anything that you can remember that oh wow that's an interesting tradition <laughs> uh, i can't remember anything particular but there was one story i was told which was very funny uh, in one of the temples i can't recollect the name though uh, there is what is called uh, you can match they say you can test your love fortune Okay, and and it's always crowded with kids and locals mainly, uh, and and there are these two stones, uh, that are placed, uh, which is slightly you know adjacent to each other or whatever, uh, and you're supposed to be walk through those stones blindfold, and or and and it it says that if you're able to navigate through those stones without any help, uh, you either you will find love around the corner. Or you will find, uh, you know, your love, your problems in love and relationships will be sorted out. And uh, also they say that if you take someone's help to do it, then you are going to need divine help in love. Oh. So in such cases, <laughs> they take you to another spring water where there's a water flowing from a particular uh, spring. And they say this, if you drink that water called love, then it's supposed to help you. I, I think a lot of places there were these magical spring waters that were flowing everywhere and many shrines that had these little, a lot of wishing wells you would find in many places. And uh, uh, I there were, there were these little paintings, some places, I wouldn't call it tradition. There's one particular uh, temple uh, in the city itself where you had this 
massive ceiling which was painted and you could see two dragons there and uh, it 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 was very metaphorical and allegorical and uh, and it 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 was massive because it's like you normally don't see like a whole ceiling painted like that and it's mind blowing that kind of an impact that it has uh, but like i said i think it's not about uh, this i can't recollect because it's a long it was a trip long ago maybe i should do my homework and come next time i can tell you <laughs> the names of these places but uh, but you know i think for me what more than um, the places uh, it was the conversations that i had with people that lingered for me more than just the uh, the destination itself uh, i know a lot of us are very favored pop a lot of us would have read ikigai the book and it's become like one of those cool things to read now and it's it's become very popular but ikigai is something which i also kind of a, a lot of these when, when i was uh, even when i was in um, uh, when i was in studying japanese uh, a lot of these phrases used to be we used to learn a lot of these places even at those days because my teacher my sensei san used to teach tell us a lot of these and uh, like one for example is wabi sabi uh, yeah wabi sabi or uh, one that uh, was told to me by my guide uh, was very interesting uh, he said it's ichigo ichi e and uh, what what they mean by that what i understood at least was that the japanese feel that everything you know they have this whole thing right that everything is fleeting and everything is momentary so the whole idea is that they want to make every meeting pleasant so the whole so even if they're meeting so if they're meeting anybody for the first time they would go all out to make that experience extremely worthwhile because they are not sure if they will meet the same person again and 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 not only do they extend this to strangers but even to people they meet for the first to they meet every day because for them practically this could be the first time or the last time that they might be meeting them so they believe in making every moment every meeting uh, very memorable and i think that is something which is very profound in my understanding because my guide told me this and i was like and he said you know he said for me i don't know when if he said chances are we are never going to meet and he said i want to ensure that this experience between us is not just another guide uh, you know it's not a not a transactional because in life na every relationship every encounter every meeting we do even in our own family has become so transactional forget about meeting someone on work i'm talking about even just a casual encounter with even a family member has become so transactional okay i don't have time what is what what do you want what can i do you know we want to just you know do it for duty or do it for a transaction but the japanese make it a point to ensure that there is a meaning to everything and i think these things uh, whether it is wabi sabi whether it is uh, um uh, what is that other word where they apply gold um uh ki they if something breaks uh they apply gold to it they repair it with gold kintsuki so this this is another very interesting tradition that they have which is that they feel if something breaks you it's it's fine you can you can repair it with gold and make it still look weak and and ensure even when they repair it they don't they want to ensure that the imperfection is still there because they say that that adds 
layers to the storytelling. So it is not only does it become something new, but it also retains its old flaws as well. So they don't try to change it. They just try to modify it or make it into something else. Uh, not necessarily better also. But I think the, the whole idea is that they own up to the... They, everything is about you know imperfection and they believe that everything is so um, transient and uh, they are not trying to you know be something else they are just trying to be themselves and trying to make everything so worthwhile even the whole you know the fact that the cherry blossoms they come and go they are, they appreciate nature in that you know totality that it is they believe that things are transient, you know. So I think a lot of that is there in their poetry, in their paintings, in their culture, in the way they talk to you, in the way the whole city is, uh, the way the temp that uh, the, if you go to any temples, the even the paintings, all of these have like a a story around them. So I think that makes a lot of difference for me as you know when I went there. That made a lot of difference. Yeah, I think I think it was such a such an important thing that you mentioned your experience with your guide, where you know he's like, "Oh, this may be the last time we are meeting, so might as well, uh, you know, make 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 this experience really special." And a lot of the times in our lives, we always remember uh, places we go or people we meet about, you know how they treated you, right, as a person, like, how did they make you feel? Uh, I think those kind of memories last with us for a lifetime. And people talk a lot about uh, uh, Shah Rukh Khan, uh, you know, uh, what was the be best, what is the best part about him? And people say that when you meet him, they, uh, he apparently makes you feel that uh, he's giving you 100% attention, or he's making you feel that you're the best person in the world. So I think that 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 attribute goes a long way. I agree because see at that point of time you're the most important person in you know uh, in that person's life okay I mean people have come all the way to see Shah Rukh or whoever and it's all about making that moment special uh, but it's also about what I like about the Japanese is that they at least that's what my guide said that they extend this even to people that they meet every day. It could be to their own colleagues. It could be to their own friends. It could be to their own neighbors. It could be to their own family members. So every meeting that they meet, they believe it's the first time they're meeting the person and they ensure that that meeting is special and memorable. So every moment counts. And in a way, it's also about mindfulness, right? I mean, that is something that's that's the very ethos of the Zen meditation tech is based on mindfulness that being in the moment being present being alive and and because you never you do not know what tomorrow holds you do not know what is going to happen next moment so the what what you can do is to make this moment count and and to be in the moment for that so everything about Jap japanese culture even even if you go to their tea ceremony for instance Everything about that is also about they, they make everything so special. Even a, a simple art of drinking and making and drinking tea is a ceremony there. And there is a certain way. In fact, they'd say when I when I went and did the tea ceremony, they they make you go 
it's it's such a tiny little hole you know it's like literally you have to crawl into it and there's a small little room which can only hold two people and 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 you and you sit on the floor and you do this ceremony so the point is they say that even you know emperors are taught that they have to bend they have to be humble and they have to go down and and they have to uh, you know so everything is 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 a ceremony everything is a ritual even and 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 it's simple it doesn't just because it's a ceremony or a ritual doesn't mean it's a complicated thing it's just that little joy of you know even making chai can be something very mindful so i i think for me all these are more than just a um, just going to a temple and and or just going to a uh, you know a restaurant or just going and doing shopping i think these are this is what made japan very special for me and i want to go back there because it's it's the culture is something which kind of connects to me a lot yeah this is such a different narrative because i have heard another narrative where you know japanese people are so much into games they don't have any social life they work long hours and you're sort of obliged to hang out with your uh, your peers post work for drinks and what not so uh, what part of japan is this and what part of japan is the way uh, you described it well, or is I that is that just tokyo who knows must be uh, that's what i was coming to so i uh, my experience has only been two main cities which is tokyo and kyoto a little bit of osaka but i would think that uh, a lot of it what you describe is the corporate culture and it's probably just the tokyo way of life and yeah and they they take power naps and they are constantly on the train and it's all about productivity and and yes of course japan's huge on productivity they will not leave anything unfinished they will go and they they, they want everything to be the art of perfection uh and everything has to be absolutely uh you know to the they don't have time they, they want to make use of every minute and all of that but having said that i and i think that's uh, having said that there is also i think the old world charm which is still there in places like kyoto and other places like if you read the ikigai book i think there's a lot of places where he talks about where people are living over 100 years old and and for them their basic ikigai is just you know community living and staying healthy and uh, you know and but i also feel that like you said japan is a, is a country of contrast i mean it is it is the it is the heart of technology i mean you see the i mean the first thing i the first thing that you know overwhelmed me literally was the washroom was the loo you know the um, the number of squirts they have the number of buttons they have the number of warm warm you know we want if you want to if you want it your the your pot to be warm press this button if you want this button you will get this squirt if you have that here there are like some you go there and you're like my god i mean how many buttons here and what are what's happening and, and also vending whole, machines right yes and there's a whole instruction manual that comes but it's also a city where you know like in tokyo when we went they don't even have dustbins there's also a city where people carry their own litter they don't have dustbins on the road so they carry litter with them so they whatever so they will not even throw something only we do it unfortunately in india but they ensure that every inch of them is is, is largely clean most of it at least as a tourist i'm talking like i'm uh, places where i visited were like spick and span so and and like i said the younger crowd uh, in uh, 
in in Tokyo or any of these places are, are, are extremely, you know, full of life, full of technology, anime. For them, it's all about the new age and, you know, and all of that. I think, so I think there's a, and they also say that, you know, corporate life is very, very, very stringent. And uh, so I'm guessing like there are many Indias in India, there are many Japans in Japan. Yeah, yeah, you sum it up pretty perfectly. Um, so a lot of Indians are vegetarian. Uh, so what what is the travel tip for a vegetarian when he or she is traveling to Japan? Okay, I have to tell you a story. So I was in Kyoto. And uh, so I used to use this map uh, to look for vegetarian food. And uh, Tokyo, we somehow managed because it was there was a lot of couple of Indian restaurants, but there were also a few, uh, you know, a lot of these bento boxes were vegetarian. They had veg curry and they had these, uh, even the Japanese also had like rice and veg curry. And you'd find a lot of uh, vegetarian food amongst Japanese and one or two in some of the key neighborhoods I found like a couple of uh, Indian restaurants also. So it was, it was all right. But in Kyoto, it was not so easy. And uh, so one day when we were walking, when we were checking the app, we came across uh, a, 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 a restaurant named Tadka. Uh, so I thought uh, Tadka sounded like a typical, uh, you know, Indian restaurant. And so we said, let's look for this Tadka. And we went and we found a very small, very unassuming kind of a place. But the first thing I noticed when I saw on the board, when I was looking at the menu, is I saw names like, more Korongu, uh, Kirakutu. And I was like surprised. I mean, these are like my grandmother's recipes. Even even Indian restaurants, South Indian restaurants, even in Tamil Nadu don't serve all this. And, uh, you know, and I was like, where would somebody in Japan be having it? Maybe someone has settled here for a long, for a long time and all of that. And typically there were just like two, three tables out there in a small little place. And there was a polite Japanese serving us. And also after the... Food I, and food was authentic. It was like literally like cooked like my grandmom. It was so like I literally felt like I was deep down in some village in Tamil Nadu eating, you know, that kind of food. So I, I, I said I'd like to meet the chef and I'd compliments of the chef. And, you know, I want to just say thank you. So who is it? So I was half expecting and, you know, an Indian family to come out. And I was so surprised when I saw a Japanese walking in. And he was very cool. He was very young. And he, I told him it was fantastic. And I was like, how did you get that authentic flavor? So he told me that he was so fascinated by India, especially South India, and mostly Tamil Nadu and Kerala cuisine, that he would go take a break, go to come to Tamil Nadu and Kerala, live with families and learn from them. And then he would come back and he would try these recipes. I mean, talk about perfection, right? And he got it to the tea, not just the spices and the metting, but even the flavors were so authentic. And he was like, for me, it was just about getting that thing right. And then, of course, he was a huge Rajnikanth fan. And he, we, we got talking about Rajnikanth and everything. But, uh, yeah, so I was surprised that the Japanese uh, restaurants are also there, which had vegetarian uh, I mean it was both Indian it was vegetarian and non-vegetarian meat and fish as well but it had a lot of authentic food but that said there's a lot of Japanese food also that can be vegetarian especially like I said the better boxes you can have a lot of curry and rice and you, you need to just check and you need to tell them very clearly that you're not into fish 
as well. Okay. Um, before we end the podcast, I noted something in your blog. Uh, and I have to ask you this because I am a huge Roger Federer fan. Have okay. you met him? Yes. How was that experience like? Mind blowing. It was such an honor. So I, I, I've been a huge fan of Federer. And uh, so when I got an invite to go to Switzerland and uh, to go to Interlaken, where he was playing a a, a match uh, with with uh, I think with Lindsay who was a ski champion, and uh, they asked us to come and cover it uh, more as an active, more as an event and and a part of the thing. So we were not allowed to talk, and uh, we could uh, it it because there were a lot of media from around the world. More selfies and all were allowed. And uh, and we were not allowed to talk directly. So if we even if we had to ask any questions, it had to be rooted, or we had to send the questions well in advance, and then they would respond through I, you know, mostly through email or whatever. You know, it was too much of a and and of course just the press conference we could cover, which was all the standard questions. But it so happened that uh, when he was waiting for his, uh, I went to take a few pictures of him, and then I went to take a few pictures of the landscape after the media left. And he was just waiting for his helicopter to uh, to land. And I just couldn't resist. So I just said, you know, I said, it's a, I said, it's a huge fan moment. And I said, I know I'm not allowed to take pictures, but I said, I just can't te- help telling you that, you know, this is like a moment. I mean, you, I was, I'm crushing as a fan. So you started laughing and it's so down to earth, so down to earth. And then we spoke about cricket, Telka, Dhoni, so many other sports. And I said, why can't you come and do some, you know, play in India? And he was like, yeah, yeah, we'd love to do that. And he has a South African connection. I guess that's how he got interested in cricket, right? I think his mom is a South African yeah. and that's how, yeah. Okay. I, I, he did, I mean, we didn't speak about his cricket connections, but he spoke about his interest in cricket. And he also spoke a lot about uh, playing in uh, India and wanting to come to India and his love for India and a little bit about Tenlukar and Dhoni and all of that and uh, I think it was it was a high I mean it was really a high and by the time we I it, it was more like a chit chat because he was just across you know and 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 it looked very weird because he's just like standing next to me <laughs> and then suddenly all the other media came and then they were like no 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 and all that and then I I just quietly left the place because it looked very awkward and he was also feeling a little um, and it is very 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 dark there's no aura there's no drama there's no I'm I'm the superstar I'm this you know nothing like that and very friendly. And, yeah. and and it's such a humbling moment meeting a great like that. Yeah, I think I think it's reflected in almost all his interviews, uh, the way he talks to people. Um, yeah, it's probably what brings him so many fans and I think just the goodwill, right? Yeah, I think, see, a lot of, just pick, a lot of Indian stars, right? Cricket, whether in cricket, mostly in cricket, of course have too much of attitude now so i think we they have this whole aura i'm a superstar hanging around but like you see rajnik andhavan if you speak to him he's so down to earth you know uh i realized that true stardom is people who wear their success uh you know and and i mean who, who but are still very down to earth and you mentioned sharuk and how he makes the other person feel important i think more than feeling important is 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 the ability to connect 
to someone and to be able to you know be humble about it and graceful about it and i think i felt very humble and honored meeting fedra because it it was such a it was a moment you know for me more as more than just being a traveler i mean i have seen a lot of celebrities in my life i've interviewed quite a few in my media life but you know some people you tend to be in awe of i think fedra is one do you have any other examples just curious uh to some extent i would say dhoni steve was another i'm a huge i was a huge fan of steve war uh, the cricketer australian uh again when i'd interviewed him he was he was just so amazing to talk to and making you feel at ease and you know uh very relaxed and, and he loves india and there's a lot of indian uh, we spoke a lot about india um i i do i do admire dhoni a lot both on screen and off screen uh bollywood or actors not so much i would say <laughs> they they mostly a pain to deal with but rajnikanth yes yeah i think uh, just cutting some slack to the cricketers i feel like there is uh, one of my guests was a cricket analyst and also a podcaster himself uh, and and he said that you know getting to a cricketer was just so difficult you know there were so many layers before which they could interview an active uh, indian cricketer so maybe that's what it is but yeah uh... no i think amongst all the indian cricketers is one indian cricketer who's phenomenal and i I'm, i must mention him rahul dravid he's brilliant i mean i've interviewed him i have inter- i met him off screen i met i mean off, i mean off work i've also uh, uh, you know uh, met him on work and he's just fabulous and he's so i mean there's absolutely no or very down to earth and um, i actually my husband and i have actually adopted um, a semi paralyzed indi uh, a dog uh, and during the pandemic and uh, so he is on wheel cart he was right here so uh, and he was on uh, wheel cart and we had taken him to one of the hospitals uh, recently uh, i mean not recently during the pandemic and uh, so uh, so my husband ran into raul dravid and his wife and they were they came they met they spoke to the, the pet of the dog they spent time talking they were very interested in the story about how we had rescued and and were very concerned about uh, an indi you know like i said we've met uh, rahul dravid is, is is another absolute gem of a person and it's not just about him being one of the cricketing greats but he's also uh, you know someone whom i admire a lot yeah they don't have so many fans for no reason right yeah yeah i think it's a perfect place to end the podcast uh, lakshmi thank you so much for your time i think we'll need a repeat episode for some of the other countries that you traveled some of the yes. lesser known or lesser instagrammed countries like let's say bulgaria or poland like we like we spoke on the phone so yes we should need we will need a comeback episode but thank you so much for your time i think uh, my listeners are going to love it That was travel blogger Lakshmi Sharat on the episode. I will be back with another guest next time. Till then, peace.